do want to say there's a trigger warning. We will be talking about suicide and referencing suicide and violent crimes. I just wanted to make listeners aware that I'll be talking about that. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of High Low with Emrata. This is a solo episode, Emrata Asks. Today, we're asking the question, fuck the NFL. (laughs) I tweeted about, I tweeted, fuck the NFL. I said, I'm sorry, dot, 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 but fuck the NFL. And people were like, where's the context of this? Yada, yada, yada. And I mean, the context was that I saw what happened to DeMar Hamlin, the Buffalo Bills safety, on January 2nd when he was hit so hard, got up, and suffered a heart attack on the field. And then after an hour of kind of uncertainty, they did decide not to continue the game. There were a lot of mixed messages, and there were some things people said um, publicly that weren't great about basically like prioritizing profit over people. And it just brought up a lot for me because I watched the Aaron Hernandez doc, Killer Inside. If you don't know who Aaron Hernandez is, he was a quarterback for the Patriots, and he uh, was involved in a homicide um, and a murder, and he ended up being found guilty and hanging himself. And afterwards, it was found that he had CT and brain damage um, that doctors hadn't seen in anyone younger than like a 46-year-old. And he was 27 years old when he um, passed away. And the documentary isn't perfect. It's not like the best documentary I've ever seen. But it does a really good job of showing the way that health and safety and even just like education are all put to the side when someone has potential with football. What we're talking about today is the way the NFL has handled the the dangerous aspects of the game. Um, we'll get into the history of it a little bit, um, what has come to light and what they've sort of had to admit, how they've handled CTE, what's been done about it, how the NFL has put profits over people time and time again, and what they're doing to change that, and what is still missing. Stay tuned for more High Low with Emrata. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Welcome back to High Low with Emrata. So let's talk about football. It's been a dangerous sport for a long time. This should not be surprising to anyone. From 1900 to 1905, at least 45 players died from football injuries. Um, This is according to the Washington Post. It was President Teddy Roosevelt who was like, we need to change this game. This is insane that people are are dying from football and injuries like this. Um, So like they included the allowance of like a forward pass and it made the game safer. 
But really, it's it's a pretty brutal game. And anybody who you talk to, which I did talk to, um, a lot of people who played football, guys who played football, it's a it's a rough game. And it's part of the spectacle of it, right, is like the violence. And one of the things that's really emerged in the last 20-something years is CTE. It stands for Chronic Traumatic Encephalopathy. It's caused by repetitive head trauma. The symptoms include memory loss, depression, aggression, aggressive behavior, and suicide. It's not just Aaron Hernandez. What happened with him was not an anomaly, unfortunately. This is all triggering and upsetting. There's been so many um, football players who, after their death um, by suicide, oftentimes they make sure not to damage their brain when they commit suicide, that they have been found with CTE post-mortem after their deaths. Andre Waters, who was 44, Dave Durison, who was 50, they were all found to have CTE when their brains were studied after their deaths by suicide. Jovan Belcher, 25, he was a linebacker for the Kansas City Chiefs. He killed his girlfriend before shooting himself in 2012. Um, obviously, Aaron Hernandez, who was 27. Philip Adams, 32, an NFL defensive back who shot and killed six people in April 2021 um, before dying by suicide. So there's a lot of violence with former football players. So CTE was first talked about with boxers in the 20s, but I, it kind of came back into prominence um, with Bennett Amalu. Um, there's a movie that Will Smith um, stars in about him. He was doing an autopsy of the former Hall of Fame Pittsburgh Steelers player Mike Webster in 2002, and that led to the reemergence of awareness of CTE. Webster had died suddenly um, following years of basically having, like, just terrible cognitive and intellectual impairment, mood disorders, depression, drug abuse, suicide attempts. That's, by the way, one of the things that I learned when I was researching this. A lot of deaths— you know, that could potentially have been connected to CTE aren't, it's hard to diagnose them because they were deaths by alcoholism or drug use, which obviously is a way to kind of medicate yourself. So Webster's brain looked normal at autopsy, but Amalu um, conducted an independent and self-financed tissue analysis. And he had suspected that he had dementia that's basically induced by repeated blows to the head. And he found accumulations of this certain kind of protein in Webster's brain, which affects mood, emotions, executive functions, basically totally messes you up. Um, and it's the same kind of protein that contributes to Alzheimer's. And what was so alarming about it was that, you know, like if he had not taken his kind of own interest in this and done this independent study, this wouldn't have come to light. So Amalu, when he published this thought, the NFL would be like, hyped basically that with his findings um, and think that they would be like, okay, great, we've got to fix this problem. So glad that this person has discovered it. And it basically didn't get that much attention initially, even though it should have been a big deal. But then members of the NFL's uh, Mild Traumatic Brain Injury Committee called for its retraction a year later. And they they requested the retraction, characterized Amalo's description of CTE as completely wrong and called the paper a failure. So then he basically kind of like had to kind of double down on his findings. And he published a second paper about it, his findings on another former NFL player, Terry Long, who suffered from depression and died by suicide in 2005. And um, he was able to 
basically study his brain and say that it was consistent with a 90-year-old brain with advanced Alzheimer's. Then he went basically to a bunch of retired NFL players and and studied their brains and also found that they had the same kind of protein and tissue in their brains. So in 2007, this is like not that long ago, which is so crazy, the NFL commissioner, um, Roger Goodell, uh, at a league-wide con- concussion summit, just dismissed the research completely. And and then the NFL committee chair, the mild traumatic brain committee chair, said, in my opinion, the only scientifically va- valid evidence of a chronic encephalopathy in athletes is in boxers and in some steeplechase jockeys. The NFL did not even publicly acknowledge the link between concussions sustained in football and long-term neurological effects until 2009. That was seven years after his discovery. But Goodell, at this point in 2009, he insisted that the NFL was studying the problem. He said he wasn't best suited to answer the question. This was in a congressional testimony, but that the NFL was committed to continuing to research the problem and um, was taking steps to improve player safety. An NFL spokesman in 2009 said to the New York Times, it's quite obvious that the medical research that's been done that concussions can lead to long-term problems. That's all they said. Then um, in 2012, 4,500 athletes suffering from dementia, depression, Alzheimer's, CTE, actually a lot of their families, file a class action lawsuit. And the NFL settles it for $765 million, but the whole crux of the settlement is that they don't admit to any wrongdoing. They announced some rule changes at the same time around there's a it's a ban on crown of the helmet hits outside of the tackle, basically trying to find ways to like there to be less head trauma. They also right before that like d- denied withholding any data and a lawyer for the NFL said we strongly deny these allegations that we withheld any information or misled the players. But Basically, there's a ton of data that shows that they absolutely did. So I want to talk about why the NFL would work so hard to cover up CTE and the dangers of football. I want to get into this a little bit more. Um, We'll be right back after this break. Stay tuned for more High Low with Emrata. Buenos dias, world, from the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. I'm Marco Wint. And I'm Rick Schwartz. And we're your hosts for season three of Amazing Wildlife, a show from iHeartRadio Ruby Studio and the global conservation organization behind the San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. Listen as we dive into the efforts here in San Diego and spotlight the heroes working worldwide to care for the species you know and love. Listen to Amazing Wildlife on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to High Low with Emrata. So let's talk about why the NFL would work so hard to basically cover up CTE. I mean, money is the short answer. The NFL in 2021 um, generated a revenue of $17.19 billion. They have insane agreements, media rights with CBS, NBC, Fox, ESPN, Amazon, altogether worth about $110 billion over 11 years. They have so much money. Um, And the thing about football that's really important to note, unlike basketball, um, where you kind of like, when you're watching it, you see all the players' faces. The teams are relatively small with football. 
it's not that way. There's a lot of people who are professional football players that you will not know their name or very rarely see their face. So they really do kind of end up acting as like soldiers and they're more anonymous. Um, And when I talked about this before, I've seen like some pushback of like, oh, well, these people choose this life. And I just want to be really clear that you know, a lot of these kids start playing football really, really young. And then they're at a point where they're 16 years old. And like, if you're talking about Aaron Hernandez, he was basically, his education was totally sidelined because everyone was so focused on his potential career as a football player. So like, is that a choice when you're, you know, 15 years old and everyone's saying like, this is the only thing you should be focusing on dedicating yourself to? And I also want to talk about race and class here. 58% of the NFL is black. 25% white, uh, 9.8% multiple races. And, you know, a lot of these people come from lower socioeconomic backgrounds. They did a survey in 2017, 51 Broncos players, 30% of the players are lower class, 21.6 lower middle. Basically comes out that over half of the players on that particular team lowered or to lower middle class. So it makes a lot of sense why these people would and their families would prioritize an opportunity as a football player and a career. So actually, one thing I wanted to talk about with the CTE settlement that a friend sent me when I was researching all of this, it turned out that the NFL had been using race norming in its dementia testing, which assumes that black people have a lower cognitive baseline score. So there were a lot of people who were not getting money because they were basically saying like they don't have that much brain damage or dementia because basically black people's brains don't work as well. It's incredibly racist. And to be clear, they were only called out on this in 2013. That's 10 years ago. This isn't like some like 100-year-old science. This is like science that was being used by the league that is fundamentally racist. And it was actually like a lot of, again, wives and family members, former um, uh, former football players who were like, yo, our the, our loved one is like completely fucked up. And one of the reasons they're not qualifying is because you are basically saying that black people have lower cognitive um, function than white people. So um, they just kind of like apologize for that basically. And we're like, whoops, we'll take that out of our policy. But you can imagine if that kind of thinking was implemented into the science of the NFL, you can only imagine what else has been going on and the kind of things that are being overlooked. And the truth is, is that the NFL doesn't want to disrupt the games, right? So let's get into what just happened with Tua Tungo Bailoa. So Tua plays for the Dolphins. He's 24 years old. Um, This actually happened right before all the DeMar Hamlin stuff, which I think is why there's been a lot of attention around it. Okay. So you see Tua, he gets pushed to the ground in the second quarter against the Bills. He hits his head. He gets up on his own. He kind of like shakes his head. He staggers. And then he has to like be propped up by two teammates. And then in the midst of whatever the um, NFL protocol is, they basically were like, he's fine. He returned to the game after halftime, played um, the game, won the game. Um, Dolphins won that game. And um, he just told medical medical staff he had an, a back injury, and they Miami did not rule the injury a concussion. Interestingly, there is this guy, Dr. Chris Nowinski. He co-founded Boston University's CTE Center. He tweeted 
a few hours before the next game. He said, if Tua takes the field tonight, it's a massive step back for hashtag concussion care in the NFL. If he has a second concussion that destroys his season or career, everyone involved will be sued and should lose their jobs, coaches included. We all saw it. Even they must know this isn't right. Well, he goes back to play this game and he gets completely knocked unconscious. Actually, his family was so affected by by what they saw in the second game that, like, immediately a group chat among 15 people, including spouses and everything, were, like, so worried and so alarmed. Um, so they do call that one a concussion. This is in Cincinnati. And the Dolphins were kind of trying to figure out, like, how should we proceed? This is he's to as their quarterback. So after that, the NFLPA fires the unaffiliated neurotrauma consultant um, who was involved in the decision to let him return to the Buffalo game. Basically, a lot of different sources said that the firing came after it was found that the consultant made several mistakes in his evaluation. Actually, interestingly, a week later, after the joint investigation when the NFLPA, the league added ataxia to its list of symptoms for which a player cannot return to a game. And that's defined as a group of disorders that affects coordination, balance, and speech. So, I mean, it's pretty crazy to me that somebody would come off the field and, like, not be able to speak, and they'd be like, oh, you're good to go back on. But that just happened. So two has been taken out for the league, I think partly because of what's happened with DeMar. Thank God DeMar is okay um, and I guess is home now and is doing a lot better. But it's really kind of amazing like this is the the NFL is under a lot of scrutiny right now and they're still making decisions like they did with Tua so listen the NFL has gotten has you know implemented a bunch of like you know game day con- concussion protocol there was also a hotline um created to report pressure to play um, against a doctor's advice because after New England Patriots um, coach Bill Belichick convinced former linebacker Ted Johnson to play too soon after a concussion when he immediately after that sustained an even more severe injury. The average age is like 25, 27 for football players and the NFL salary average is 2.7, which means that there's people get paid a lot less and there's people get paid a lot, lot more. And you're thinking about like Tom Brady and whoever else quarterbacks obviously get paid a shit ton. I'm not saying that it's not a lot of money. The minimum salary for an active player is $700,000. Obviously it's a ton of money, but I think it's just important to realize that it's not like, oh, these like, you know, young kids are sacrificing their bodies for like the biggest, fattest paychecks that are going to like set them up for the rest of their lives. There's a lot of football players who could play, you know, a couple of years of football, get serious brain damage, and then, you know, not be able to support their family or take care of themselves or the ones they love. All to say that like, this is a huge corporate, there's so much money involved in the NFL and Definitely, there's been a hist- a very, very clear history of racism, but of mostly just prioritizing profit over people. And I think that football culture is a whole other thing I'm not even going to get into um, in this episode, except to just say that, you know, obviously it's a huge part of American culture, of, of masculinity. But I think that, you know, we really, we need to be more on top of the NFL and put more pressure on them to change the way that the game is played. Not only how the game is played, but also how these kids, honestly, I think so many of them are kids who come into the NFL, are taught to kind of put their safety and their health second to winning a game and to playing uh, the sport. So this is my episode on CTE and the NFL 
Thank you all for listening. I know this is kind of a controversial topic for some people. I don't totally understand why. Um, but like when I tweeted that, I got a lot of heat for people. I think people feel really passionately about football and don't want things to change um, because they love their Sundays and whatever else. But I do think it's really important to think about the way that a lot of these young men's bodies are being treated and used by this, you know, giant multi-billion dollar corporation. And I think that the attitude around um, the way we talk about football and CTA needs to change even more. I really recommend the Aaron Hernandez documentary. There's also Concussion, the movie about the doctor who discovered, who brought CTE kind of to light and was able to, you know, connect um, professional football playing with CTE and his experience played by Will Smith. It's a cool movie um, to learn more about that. I'm really looking forward to hearing from all of you. If you have personal stories with football, um, you know, there's a bunch of data that I didn't even get into around um, high school players and concussions um, and playing, you know, when your brain hasn't even fully developed yet and you're experiencing repeated head traumas. Um, so I am anxious to hear back from all of you and continue this conversation. Go to hilo.fm to submit your voicemails and thank you so much for listening. High Low with Emrata is a Sony Music Entertainment, Bitch Era Media, and Something Else production produced by Chelsea Jacobson. Our executive producers are me, Emily Radikowski, and Sarita Wesley. Our senior producer is Medina Parwana, and our associate producer is Rachel Choder. Today's episode was engineered by Samantha Gatsik with original music by The Crystal Pharaoh. Thanks for listening.